Our Father in God, we thank you for the opportunity to having spoken this morning with the Sartoriuses. We thank you and praise you for this opportunity to study the Word of God. We thank you, Father, for the Bebos who have been here for some 28 years. And we pray that you'd encourage and bless them, help them to know that we are praying for them this week. We pray, Father, and ask that you would help us as we come before you. We've talked about the Word of God and obedience to it this morning. And Father, without obedience, the Word of God is nothing more than just knowledge which only puffs up. And we pray, Father, and ask that you'd be able to apply the truths of the Word of God to our lives today. We thank you and praise you for Jesus Christ and who he is, not only in our eyes, but in your eyes. And Father, we pray and thank you for his salvation that he so freely provided, and pray that as we open up the Word of God now, that you would be our teacher. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. This morning's message is the unity of the Father and the Son. In our immediate context, Jesus has been speaking to the Jews, and because he has performed a miracle in their midst, problems have been created. You wouldn't think so. You would think if a miracle was performed, there would be anything but problems, but that is not the case here. First of all, they were infuriated, that is, the Jews were infuriated, because according to verse 16, and you can look at it, in verse 16, he had healed on the Sabbath. Now that was not a violation of the law at all as we have studied the Word of God together. We have seen there was no violation here. Rather, if there was a violation of sorts, it was a violation of their, meaning the Jews, their laws in which they had added to the Word of God. It was not a violation of the Word. It was a violation of that which had been added to the Word by them. So Jesus was not involved in sin at all. And that uh, he pointed out to them very clearly. But more than that now, as the Lord Jesus Christ has gone on to talk to them, their infuriation over the sin of, in their mind, violating the Sabbath, which was not the case, had only escalated because now we find out in verse 18, if you look at that verse before the text that is before us this morning, they now want to kill Jesus. They've moved from just being upset over the miracle that was performed and acting in hostility toward Christ to the point that they actually want to kill him, according to verse 18. And the reason they want to kill him is because he said, if you look at verse 17, that God was his own father. Not just a father, like of creation we talked about last week, or like a father to believers, but his own father. They understood what that meant. He was claiming, verse 18, the end of the verse, that this was equality with God. And they saw it. The end of verse 18, it says, making himself equal with God. And so because of that, they are now absolutely to the point where they want to kill him and do away with him. And this is something for us, as even we think about this morning. Man has been created in the image and likeness of God. God was always here. We've been given the ability to reason. We've been the, given the ability by God's grace to rule over his creation. We've been given the ability, ability to communicate and have fellowship with 
the eternal God. We've been given by God's grace a soul, and every human being that comes into the world will live forever in one way or not, either in the presence of God or out of the presence of God. So it's hard for us as a human being to understand a God who is, as we've already seen in the Scriptures, spirit, and who is not material, to take on that which is a body and be material, and then to be on this earth and to claim that he's God, the God who's basically created everything. It's easy for us today to go back and look at this, but put yourself in their shoes. They knew of a Messiah coming, but all they know is that the one true God was a spirit, and the one true God had created everything, and he would only come to deliver. And they were confused, and it was difficult. So though they should have known the Scriptures well enough, they were still challenged as human beings in their mind. This concept of a man saying that he's equal with God. And that is the same type of challenge that people have today. To think of Jesus Christ because they see a physical being. We don't see him now physically, but when they were on earth, they saw a physical being. And to think that that person could be God. And certainly apart from the Scriptures, they wouldn't have any knowledge of it. Secondly, even with the Scriptures, apart from the illuminating by the Holy Spirit and the giving insight by God's grace to understanding, men would be nothing but dead men spiritually and be unable to even comprehend that thought of a God who's created everything being a human being. So it was a challenge to them. So we pick it up in that text, and this morning we see the response of Jesus to their saying, you're claiming to be equal with God. Simply put, a summarization of the message, so for those of you that I lose as I go along, the summarization is this. There is perfect unity and perfect harmony between God the Father and God the Son. Absolute perfect harmony and unity. And in our text, he first of all states it, and then demonstrates it in verses 19 through 22, as I have there in your outline. So in verse 19, where we pick it up today now, we see that, first of all, he states the fact right there clearly, though you might not see it that way, that yes, I am equal to the Father. Then he will demonstrate it. How does he do that? Verse 19. He starts off with something that we've seen for the second time now in the book. Truly, truly. Just English words, just simple words. It's a very important truth that he's about to teach. It is a common way in which Jesus gave instruction, by the way, and in our immediate area of the chapter, chapter 5, he's going to say it in verse 19, and if you look ahead a little bit to verse 24 that I read, he starts off, truly, truly. And then again in verse 25, which is not for today, he again says, truly, truly. So it's a very common expression of his. And what does it literally mean? I don't know if you remember from earlier on in the book, but it means amen. Amen and amen is what he's saying to them. They claim that he's basically making himself equal to God. And Jesus, in just those two words alone, and we need to understand that in its historical context, that Jesus Christ is affirming before you read anything else in the text. Just by those two words, he is affirming that their assessment is right. You've got it right, he's basically saying to them. I am equal to the Father. So let me set some things right away 
in the message this morning. Is Jesus and God the Father equal? Yes. Let me turn to you, have you turn with me, excuse me, to a number of texts just quickly. In John, let's go to John chapter 10. Get your electric fingers here turning the pages. John chapter 10, verse 30. If you're here this morning and have never seen the fact or are struggling with the concept of Jesus because he was a man that came in this world and a baby in Bethlehem being equal with God, John chapter 10, verse 30, and I will bounce over the verses very quick, just make a couple of comments. I and the Father are one. Now, we'll deal with that in its context when we get there, but he's basically saying they are one in substance, one in essence. The personhood is dealt with a little different in the text. But he's, he's telling them that they're one in substance. I and the Father are one. Go to chapter 12 of John, verse 45. Chapter 12, verse 45. I think these are important things to see this morning. Verse 45 he who beholds me, that is Jesus, beholds the one who sent me. When you're looking at me, you're looking at the Father. You can't be that way or say that if you're not equal to. This was something that he had to teach his disciples. Just turn to chapter 14. You're familiar with this one, verses 9 and 10 of John. Jesus is talking to Philip, and he says, verse 9, Have I been so long with you, and yet have you not known me, that is Jesus, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How do you say, I'll just stop at verse 9, show us the Father. Look, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Why? We are equal. We are the same. Colossians chapter 1, your responsive reading. I want to go to Colossians 2 anyway, so let's just briefly go to Colossians 1. Colossians 1 in your Bible. And in Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 to 17, we read a little bit longer than that. Some things are very clear. What is he saying here in the passage? Well, you look at verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. We cannot see God. God is spirit. How do we see him? He is the image. In verse 16, we see also that it is Jesus Christ who created everything. For by him, the instrumentality was, all things were created in heaven and earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. All things have been created by him. And watch this. Not only that, for him, and then verse 17 is astounding. It says, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He holds it all together. Who are we talking about? The Son. And we see very clearly, as you think of creation, Christ was involved in it, Jesus Christ. He's equal to. He holds it together. He created it. I still don't get it. Go to chapter 2 of Colossians. Chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And these are not the only verses, by the way. Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For in him, that is Christ, Jesus Christ, watch, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. You can't get any clearer than that. When you look at Jesus Christ, he is God in the flesh. God came to earth 
according to Hebrews, and took on that which was not common to him. All the fullness of deity dwells in him. Just two more passages. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. And hopefully this should overwhelm you with verses. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. We just saw that. Now watch verse 3. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, that's the cross, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Those verses are overwhelming. One more verse. Why? I think it's appropriate to close with this one on the subject. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We studied this book together. Do you remember this verse? 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. It says in verse 4, In whose case the God of this world, that's referring to Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. Why does he do that? That they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is he? Who is the image of God. You see, Satan doesn't want people to see this point that I just emphasized to you. Satan doesn't want people to understand. All, they, all Satan would love them to understand is this little babe in Bethlehem that stayed there. Or death on a cross and not see that person as fully man and fully God. The Jews got the point. When he said that God was his own father, he was saying he was equal to God. Why? I've just shown you a number of verses. Because he is. And Satan would have people believe and say that Jesus is merely a good teacher. Merely a moral man. Let me ask you right away, what is your concept of Jesus Christ this morning? That he is merely a religious leader? That he is, as some believe, the Son of God, but not God? That he is an angel? That he is a prophet? That he is a historical figure? That he is a myth? Where is your thinking? Satan would have us to believe that that's all that Jesus Christ is, and not eliminate the last one because he's not a myth. But he was a good teacher, and is a good teacher. He was a religious leader. He is the Son of God. All of those things, but that's not where it stops. The Scriptures claim, and Jesus Christ himself, contrary to today's contemporary thinking, Jesus Christ himself claimed to be God. He is God. Do you see him that way? I'll say this right away. If you don't see him that way, you do not know him. If you don't see him that way, hold on, you are not what we call saved. I don't care how long you've been coming to Fellowship Bible Church. You don't see Jesus Christ as God, you don't know who he is. If he's just a good teacher to you, you have no Savior. Jesus Christ is God. 
What about the rest of the verse, Pastor Dan? Let's go back to John chapter 5. You say, truly, that's just the first two words. It goes on to say in the rest of the verse, does it not, that the Son can do nothing without the Father and so forth? Yes, it does. It is a statement of how the, word, the two of them work together. That's what you have in verse 19. Not only is he saying amen, amen, but as he goes on in verse 19 and the rest of the verse, he is showing how the two of them work together in uninterrupted communion. That's what it means. How the Father does everything that the Son does, the Son does everything the Father does, and he's talking about an uninterrupted communion. In other words, they do not work independently of one another. They do not work in opposition to one another. Nor does it state in verse 19 that Jesus is just imitating the Father. That is not what the verse means at all. Westcott put it very clearly, and I'll just take his statement above all the others that I read. He put it this simple. In his statement, he says, the verse 19 is clearly the sameness of nature that is expressed. And I agree with that. What you have in verse 19 is when one sees the other one doing it, he's expressing that in nature they're the same. One is doing what the other does. Is there a sense of subordination in verse 19? Yes, there is. You say, now you're confusing me. There is. Why? Because if you look closely, you have to look at the whole verse. First of all, it's very clear that he, can, he says he does nothing of himself. That would indicate subordination. He says what he sees the Father doing. That would be subordination, but you can't stop there. The rest of the verse brings it all together. They don't stand alone. They're in connection with one another. Because as you look at the rest of the verse, it shows you the interrupted, uninterrupted excuse me, communion because it says whatever, that is all things, that is everything that the Father does, the Son does. It's in the verse. He not only says that he sees that, that, that whatever the Father does, but he says all things that he sees, all things, whatever it is, he does it. Not only that, the end of the verse, the last three words, in like manner. Whatever the Son sees the Father does, he does the same exact way. Why? It's nature. It's their nature. It's uninterrupted communion that it's speaking about in verse 19. Not a position of subordination in the sense of not being equal. They were right, and Jesus is affirming it. Jesus is equal to God. He does not rebuke their statement. He verifies their statement. But Jesus doesn't stop here. While he does that, in verse 19, he now goes on and demonstrates it. He demonstrates his equality. He explains his equality. He illustrates his equality. He proves, how many more words can I use? He proves his equality to him that it is so in verses 20 through 22. And by the way, before we even get to this, actually in verses 19 through 22, but before we get to this, hasn't he already done that? Yes. He's already demonstrated that he's God. How? Listen to what we've already studied. Remember what he said to Nathaniel? Before you came to me when you were sitting under the tree, I knew everything you were thinking. That, would have, that should have told them. What else has he done? Remember the woman at the well? Go get your husband. Well, he's not my husband. Yes, you said that right because you've had five husbands. Started telling him the whole history. How could he do that if he wasn't God? Remember what else he did? He changed the water to wine. Remember what else he's done in John? 
He just healed the nobleman's son. How much evidence does man need? You would think with all of this, they would see this person has to be God to have that knowledge, to be able to do those things. He's got to be God. But they weren't even looking at the miracle, as I pointed out last week. <clears throat> it's so easy not to see what God's doing while we do see things happening. But nevertheless, he demonstrates it in the remainder of the verses. <clears throat> and it's introduced to us, let me just put it to you this way as I lose my voice. <clears throat> He's going to demonstrate his deity in a natural way and structurally in the context by the connection of our English word for. It's a connection. If you look at verse 19, it says, for whatever the Father does. Verse 20, for the Father loves. Verse 21, for just as the Father raises. Verse 22, for not even the Father judges. So he introduces his demonstration by the word gar, or for, in this. And we'll briefly look at all four because it demonstrates four ways in which his deity is seen. Number one, his actions. We already spent time on this, but it's verse 19. <clears throat> For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. <clears throat> We've already mentioned that. Whatever the Father does, the Son does. In his actions, we see the unity, or we see the union. And I've got to use this water. Excuse me a minute. <clears throat> Trust I'm going to make it. <clears throat> We see the union of the works of the Son with the Father. What's involved? Pastor Chris already referred to it. Creation. We just saw that. What, was that. what else is involved? The choosing of Israel. Jesus Christ was involved in that. The salvation of man. That's part of his works. The defeat of Satan. The raising up and the putting down of leaders. All of this is referred to in Scripture as God does that. Jesus Christ was involved. The ruling over angels, Jesus Christ. The creating of the new heaven and earth. The sovereign rule over the universe. It's all found in that expression, <clears throat> whatever the Father does, the Son does in like manner. So he does it by his works. Secondly, it's demonstrated in verse 20. How? In his love. We see the union of the Father and the Son in their love. Now, interestingly enough, <clears throat> the word love here is not agape. As far as I know, it's the only one, I looked it up, the only time that the father and son relationship is referred to as phileo, or referring to that, that word. Why? Well, this word is dealing with a warm, deep, effectual, emotional love. And there's that perfect love between the father and the son. Yes, there's the sacrificial love. Yes, there's the aspect of choice that's involved with agape. But he wants us to see that even in the effectual love between the Father and the Son, it's in absolute perfect harmony. He says, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all, <clears throat> all things that he himself is doing. This, this is a love that is deep, a love that is expressed in the present tense, by the way. Why? It's an absolute ongoing love between the Father and the Son. It is always there. It is never lacking, but it is always there between the Father and Son. There is nothing that is hidden from the Son that is Jesus Christ. That shows the deity of Jesus Christ. I will say this, just a little side trip for a second. 
<clears throat> this is the type of love that's supposed to be there between a husband and a wife. When you talk about phileo love, we are told as husbands to agape, to be sacrificial for our wives to lay it down. But if this type of mutual love, even in affection, was there, I don't even think there'd be divorce. To be honest with you. Wouldn't be. Because it would be an ongoing mutual affection for one another, whereby there's such a deep love. Not only do you want to sacrifice for somebody, but you're attracted to that person and you see yourself with no one else. That's what's here. That's what's here with the Father and the Son. It's an interesting statement at the end of the verse because he says, greater works than this. Greater works than this miracle. <clears throat> greater works than what the Lord Jesus Christ has already done will be seen. Look at the end of the verse. Greater works than these, he will show him that you may marvel. Yes. What type of greater works? Verses 21 and 22. We come to the third one. His power. We see the union of the Father and Son in the giving of life, verse 21. That's greater than the other miracles. In verse 21, we see, For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also, watch this, gives life to whom he wishes. <clears throat> Only one is able to give life. Only one was able to give life in this world. Only one is able to raise the dead. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 32. <clears throat> While you're turning there, I'm going to get another drink. Deuteronomy 32. Verse 39. <clears throat> See now that I, I am he, there is no God beside me. It is I who put to death and give life. Only God can give life. Only he can raise anybody up. I will read to you Romans chapter 4. In Romans chapter 4, verse 17, it says this. You can mark the reference down. It is written, a father of many, many nations have I made you in the sight of him whom he believed, even God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. Only God can do that. Only God can give life. And yet he says, the Lord Jesus Christ gives life, and he gives it to whomever he wills. Jesus Christ is able to raise from the dead, and he's also able to give eternal life. And notice the sovereignty there, to whomever he wills. It's not our choice. It's not what we want. It's his action. <clears throat> he's not talking about Jesus Christ like he was talking about Elijah. Did Elijah raise the dead? Yes. Did Elisha raise the dead? Yes. First Kings, Second Kings. Did Paul? Yes, Acts chapter 20. It's not talking about that eight type of agency. He's talking about one that is able to give not only physical life like we'll see in John chapter 11, but one that is able to give spiritual life. One that is able to give life to a dead person spiritually. Look in chapter 6 of John alone. Go with me to chapter 6, verse 27. <clears throat> verse 27. Do not work for food which perishes, 
but for the food which endures to eternal life. Now watch this. Which the Son of Man shall give to you. For on him the Father, even God, has set a seal. The Father is given that. The Son is able to give life. Look at verse 33. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven. That's Jesus Christ. And gives life to the world. Verse 48. I am the bread of what? Life. Verse 54. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Who's able to do that? Jesus Christ. What am I saying? He's demonstrating that he's God. He's demonstrating that he's fully God and that he can also give life. No church can give life. You can't give life to yourself. No rabbi, no minister, no relative, no parent can give life to anybody. Only Jesus Christ can give life. No wonder he said he's the way, the truth, and the life. It is Jesus Christ because he's God. He's able to give it to whoever he will. If that's not enough, he gives us the fourth one in verse 22. We find out that he demonstrates his deity through his authority. How in his authority? Union and judgment. Verse 22. For even the Father judges, not even the Father judges anyone. But he has given, notice this next word, all judgment. To whom? The Son. That shows deity. Not only that he can give life, which is greater than just the works of raising someone from the dead, but eternal life. He is also able to judge, and he's the only judge. All judgment is giving to, given to the Son. Explain it. <clears throat> judgment seat of Christ. Who are believers going to stand before? Jesus Christ. That's who you're going to give account to. How about the judgments of the book of Revelation that we've been studying? Seven sealed scroll. It was given into the hand of who? The Son. The Lamb of God. Who stood in the midst of the throne. What about the great white throne judgment? God the Father is going to be there. So is the Son. And all judgment will be given to him. Compare to chapter 12, verse 48 of John just to keep you nearby. <clears throat> Watch. He who rejects me, that is Jesus Christ, and does not receive my sayings as one who judges him, the word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. The word of who spoke? Jesus Christ. I'll read to you 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. You don't need to turn there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 through 9. Listen to this. Here's what Jesus Christ said. So that you may become, you've become examples of all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Achaia. I get the wrong one. It's 2 Thessalonians. I think. Sorry about that. Yes, chapter uh, 1 of 2 Thessalonians. And to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus Christ shall be revealed from heaven with his holy angels in flaming fire, dealing out, who does? Jesus Christ. Retribution on those who do not know God and on those who obey 
the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Who does that? Jesus Christ, when he's revealed in verse 7. It is Jesus Christ who does all the judging, and I'll put it to you this way, you will stand one day before Jesus Christ. Why? He's God. So even in his judgments, why is this all important? Why is it to understand that Jesus Christ is God? Why is it important to understand that he's the judge? Why is it important that he's the one that gives eternal life? <clears throat> why is it important that he can do miracles? Why is it important to understand this unity and harmony between him and the Father? He gives you the answer in verse 23. Take a look. Here's the purpose. In order that we might, that's what that means, in order. Here's the purpose. Here's the reason. In order that all may honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. Now, don't miss the last part. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. That honor may be given to the Son. I won't turn there, but Isaiah chapter 42, <clears throat> verse 8, says that God does not give his honor and glory to anyone. <clears throat> 48, 11 of Isaiah says the same thing. That I do not give my glory to another. Well, if he doesn't give his glory to another, how can he do it to Jesus Christ? Because Jesus Christ is God. How can he want honor to go to him? Because he wants us to see that if we don't honor the Son, the end of the verse, by recognizing that Jesus Christ is fully God, we do not honor the Father. If somebody says to you, listen, I'll make it simple. I believe in God. I believe that Jesus Christ came. I believe that he died on the cross. But I cannot believe that he's God. He's the Son of God, but he's not God. Unbeliever. Pastor Dan, how can you say that? He who does not honor the Son. What does that mean? In the same way that the Father honors the Son, does not honor the Father. You can't do it. For someone to say they believe in God, but they don't believe in the Son, they don't believe that Jesus Christ is the only way, they don't believe that Jesus Christ is God, they are not honoring the Father either. It doesn't matter what they say. That's God's authority. Philippians chapter 2 makes it very clear that every day, that, that, excuse me, every tongue, one day, will confess that Jesus Christ is, anybody know? Lord to the glory of the Father. You have to understand that. Don't be fooled. I don't know how many times I've heard Christians say that to me. Well, I say, is so-and-so saved? Well, they say they believe in God. Listen, if you're a believer, you're the instrument to correct that. Just because they believe in God doesn't make them saved. And I know what it's like. Sometimes you want to hold on to relatives and, and parents when they're dying and, well, there's some faith in God. They've got to understand who Jesus Christ is and you've got that message. Take them from God, the Father, to help them to understand that to believe in God means to believe what he said. And he said that Jesus Christ is God. He said he's his son. He said his works prove it. His love proves it. His giving of life proves it. 
and he's the judge. And you cannot possibly honor God the Father if you don't honor God the Son. Can't do it. That's what it says in verse 23. Why all the miracles? To authenticate who Christ was and is so that people would believe on him. That is why I said early in the message, what you believe about the Son and whether you believe he's God does affect your view of God. Turn with me to John chapter 15 for another verse. Go to John chapter 15. <clears throat> this is astounding. Can't be any briefer. Verse 23. He who hates me, that's Jesus, hates my father also. Don't be fooled with the language of today. Jesus Christ is the Son of God, but he's not God. He hates the Father who says that. Jesus Christ was an angel or a prophet, but he's not God. That person hates the Father on the authority of the Word of God. Don't be fooled. That's why Jesus Christ is the only name given among men whereby we must be saved. And if you're sitting here today and you've had that struggle, you know, he's born in Bethlehem, he was a man, but I don't know that he can be God. Maybe it's just clicking for you right now. If that's true, it's because God's opening up your understanding. You need to understand that that was a virgin birth, that that was God in the flesh, that Jesus Christ is God, and without that belief, there is no salvation. Because there is no Savior unless God did it himself. That's Isaiah 45. I am the one who saves. Who said that? God said that. This is an important passage of Scripture. They got it. He's making himself equal with God. Amen and amen. Because always I and the Father work together. Whatever he does, I do it. Whatever I do, he sees it, he's authorized it, it's together. Demonstrate it. Look at my works. Look at my love. Look at our love for one another. It's ongoing, mutual, effectual, as well as giving and decision-making. Look, if you will, as he says in verse 21, I am the one who can give life. Only God can give life. But I am God because I give life. I give eternal life. What about judging? Only one that can judge is the one who's supremely over the universe. The one who controls all things and is sovereign. That's right. And it's Jesus Christ who will do all of the judging. Verse 23. Why? So that you might honor the Son the way the Father said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. No wonder we're going to come to the passage that says, what must I do that I do the works of God? This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he had sent. Jesus Christ. That's the work. Fully God. Fully man. And without that, there is no salvation. The positive side, my friend, is as a human being, we are all sinners. We have come short of the glory of God. There is no righteousness in ourselves. Even for believers, it's God's imputed righteousness. We are deceitful even in our own hearts. But God, 
did a marvelous thing, and that's verse 24. That's the highlight of everything that he's saying. It leads us to this verse. The unity of the Father and the Son are clearly seen in salvation. Verse 24. Truly, truly, there it is again. Listen up. Amen and amen. What is it? I say to you, he who hears my word, what Jesus Christ just said, and believes him. Who's that? Well, that's the Father. We understand that's God, right? Yes. Who sent me. You've got to believe it's together. The Father sent him. I've told you the word that I and the Father are one. We work together. I and the Father have done it all. And if you believe what happens, he has present tense eternal life. How does a person get eternal life? He gets eternal life by believing, by faith. Where? In religion? No. In a person called Jesus Christ who is nothing more than a mere man, you do not get salvation that way. By believing that just somebody nice died on a cross, it doesn't happen that way. But by believing on the one that sent him. What does that mean? And by believing his word because it's together. And that is that he is the Son of God, co-equal with the Father, who's demonstrated it in every way possible for man to see, and that people would understand that this was God in the flesh who came to earth and paid the penalty and price for sin so that whosoever believes in him, watch this, will not come into judgment, but is passed. Where? From death. You see, it's not just a resurrection from the dead like Elijah and Elisha we talked about. We're talking about spiritual death and spiritual life that can only come through the Savior. Who is that? God. Who is that? Jesus Christ who came. God in the flesh. And a person is passed from death into life. When does it happen? Is this something we hope for? I've been to many, many funerals. Before I was saved and since I've been saved. Been to another wake this week. And we see people passing off the scene. And it is so tragic to hear people talk about the fact that they hope someone saved them. Maybe now they can be prayed out of heaven. And I came out of Roman Catholicism. Listen, it is heart-rending to me when I go to a funeral home and I see somebody pass on. I know what those things are. I was an altar boy. I know what those things are. Those are masses for the dead. To try to help them get out of purgatory into heaven. It doesn't happen that way. It happens now while you're living, while you're breathing God's air. And it's very possible to be alive physically, but to be dead spiritually. And if you haven't believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's what you are, a dead man breathing but God is able to take you from that death into life, not after you die. Look at the verse again. The one that believes now, what does he have? He has eternal life. Even believers, sometimes we walk around like, I can't wait till I get to heaven. You've got life now. Live it. You've got life working in you. God's desire is that you be pleasing to him day in and day out.
We ought to be praising God. Talk about having connection with the Satorius family. Look at what God's doing. Here he is in Alabama working on a translation that people in Senegal are going to use. And the people in Senegal who had not heard the gospel because someone was willing to go and give them information came from worshiping idols, came from idolatry came from the concept of I can't understand the meaning of a man being God to understanding who Jesus Christ is and now proclaiming him as they teach Roman and Acts. That's the hand of God. You know why? Because the Sartoriuses are faithful to living for God now. Have they been through a lot? They didn't know I was going to say any of this and they're not even online now. Yes. They went to the mission field and saw their son die. They have been in the mission field and have seen all kinds of heartaches in the family. But none of that has deterred them from doing what God called them to do. And God is still raising people out of death, out of darkness, into light, into life, because they're going and giving the message. And you and I are in the presence of people in our neighborhood, at work, on the street, in the market that we go to, and get away from doing your shopping and everything else and open your eyes to what God is doing and be ready to give them the message of eternal life because most people, if they even know of the name of Jesus Christ, are just using it to curse. And if they know anything about Jesus Christ, they think he's maybe the Son of God. They think maybe he's an angel or a moral teacher. And unless they come to the point to see that, no, he's God, very God, and believe on him, they will not have eternal life. And they need to have you and I give that message. Put it in its context as I close. They have heard the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and the hearing, right? Yeah, by the word of God. Faith came. Eternal life. What does that mean? No judgment. We know Romans 8.1. There is thou now therefore no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. They need to hear. They need to hear. In the context here, these Jewish leaders saw a miracle and they got upset. It wasn't what they wanted. Heard a claim that Jesus Christ is equal with God? I can't take that one. Let's kill him. He said, you've got it right, I am. And everything points to it. And I will even be the one that will judge you. But he didn't leave it there. He then turned around and ended on a positive night and said, if you hear the word of God and you believe it, you yourself will be passed from death unto life. And that's our message. We have to give the bad, but we also need to give the good. And the bad is that all men are sinners and come short of the glory of God, as I just said. But the good is that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, God with us came, paid the penalty which is death for sin, satisfied the righteous judgment of God, and now whosoever believeth in him will not perish, but be passed from death unto life. Give the message out. If you're here without Christ, you can believe right there in the pew. Eternal life happens now. You say, Pastor Dan, you're talking to mostly believers. Possibly, and I say that,
possibly. But if I am, are you living as a believer now? Are you living for his glory now? Time is short. You don't think so? Most people in this congregation right now that I'm looking on, most are 40 and older. That was generous. I'm going to tell you something. Take a 24-hour day. You know where you are? Some of you are at the 11.30 news. Some of you are at 11. Most of you are at the 10 o'clock news. You've only got a couple of hours left. What are you doing for eternity? What is God doing through our life? You're just bouncing through life? Eternal life is now. We will have to give account as believers. Live for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ now. Let's close in prayer. Father in God, I thank you and praise you. The Lord Jesus Christ never just gave a simple answer of yes or no. But many times when he was challenged, as in our text, not only verified that they had it right and that he was God, but then demonstrated it in so many different ways. But yet, Father, we know that these Jewish people, most of them still missed it. Even though he said the one that hears his word, believes on him who sent him, has eternal life. Most of them missed it. And it's because you sovereignly give life to whomever you will. And you must open up the heart. But Father, we know that you're in that business. Right now in this room, it's possible that you're opening up some hearts to the first understanding that Jesus Christ is fully God. And it is him that we have to answer to. Father, help them to right there in the pew trust and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ that they might be passed from death unto life. For Father, the many who have trusted in Christ, challenge our hearts. Where are we in life? Are we living that eternal life? Are we living as if we have it? Or are we so occupied in this world that we're not even able to recognize what's going on? For eternity's sake, those around us, Help us to be sensitive. Help us, Father, to live for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to honor the Lord Jesus Christ as you do. Help us, Father, to live for him. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.